Welcome to Ticket to Gamehenge, the podcast that discusses the science behind how to get your friends and family to love our favorite band, Fish, as well as other fish-related topics from the community. You can grab a free chapter of the book at TicketToGameHenge.com. My name is Adam, and joining me as always is my good buddy, Dr. K. All right, and here we are, back again, another week, Ticket to Game Hedge. Uh, uh, for our American friends, happy inauguration day. It's January the 20th. Um, lots to talk about today. Lots going on, despite the fact there's no real news, really, I guess. But uh, we're going to open up with... with a, lots of fish news, man. Well, I guess, but but nothing in terms of music and, and you, know, you know, that kind of thing. But... Uh, New era, man. We might be in the... We might done the 3.0 era that's massive news it is it is and we and we are definitely going to get to that and uh, sort of debate about what that really means um but but, but first we're going to introduce a topic uh, that is definitely new to me um and uh, kind of getting back to the root of the podcast which is how we how we we want to we want to expand the love of fish and, and 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 get more people into our love of the band because uh as you all know for those that listen it's it's it's, it's a great experience so um you know in addition to all the great things we talk about about what's going on with the band and all the musicianship we want to get kind of back to the root of the science of uh, some of the some of the things that go on that can that we can use right to help us get more people into fish. So we're going to talk a little bit about strip lining, but I think more specifically negative strip lining. I have no idea. So take it away. No, no, you you do have an idea. You do have an idea. It's a fancy term. So again, if you're bothered by the term technique, you need to understand Mm. that intention matters. We're not trying to uh, bring somebody some ill intent. We have a good intent. We want them to get into the, the greatest band that ever stepped foot on the stage, right? So Negative strip lining is a, a persuasion technique. And I have lines. Have you ever seen the movie Gone Girl? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Right? So she disappears. I don't, I'm trying not to spoil the plot here. Mm-hmm. Ben Affleck's the main character. You know, his wife is, is, she disappears. And now he becomes, you know, everyone thinks that he killed her. Yep. Right? So the media is always on his door. And, and eventually he agrees to, uh, to go on to national television where he's being interviewed by, I, I don't know the name, the last name of the interviewer, uh, but her first name is Sharon. So Sharon's interviewing him on like the TV news, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he actually uses this technique, negative strip lining to, um, you know, to, to become more, more liked or, or more thought of in a positive manner. So let me read it to you from the script. Sharon, Nick Dune, you might be the most hated man in America right now. Nick, I think you're probably right, Sharon, and I probably deserve it. Did you kill your wife, Nick? I did not kill my wife, Sharon. I am not a murderer, but you were unfaithful. I was, I am not proud of my actions. You allowed Amy, his, his wife, you allowed Amy's parents, Amy's friends, the people of your hometown to believe that you were a loving husband who was desperate to find his missing wife. I am desperate to find my missing wife. I just wonder how you can ask us to believe you now that we know you're a liar. I did not come forward about my affair because I knew it would make me look very, uh, sorry, I did not, I knew it would make me look very, very bad. I don't care about how I look, that's done. I care about finding my wife. Let me just say I'm not a killer. I'm far from a good guy. I was a bad husband to a wonderful wife. I broke the vow I made to her. So what he's doing is he's shedding light on the less than optimal parts about his character. He's becoming more relatable. 
And I don't know about you, but it's intimidating when I'm introducing this band to somebody else to be like, oh my God, this is the best song ever. You got to hear this guitar. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Maybe yeah. if I took a log off the fire, mm. you know, and, uh, and created a little bit of a different context around the band, there'd be less pressure to think or there, you know, the person could maybe be honest and, and say, you know, I really like this part, but this part sounded weird. It would be less pressure on the other human to like have to agree with me to please me. Okay. Got it. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting as you're reading that script. I've been, I, I've seen the movie once when it was fairly new. And what year is that movie from? Like at least five, six, seven years ago. Probably 2008 right? or something like that, I bet. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Really? Uh, wow. I can look it up. Uh, I'm gonna, yeah, I'll Google it real quick. But yeah, that scene kind of came back in focus. And I started to think about when um, all these celebrities, and, and it's funny, there's almost like a Rolodex of images going through my brain that have been through, uh, as they say, over the pond controversy. And they, they, they really get over it by admitting the fault, saying, look, I'm human you know, blah, 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 putting it out there. And that seems to be the best technique for acceptance and people moving on from that, right? To get over those, um, well, because flaws, you're really I guess you could say, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really, really interesting. So, um, and I guess, and I guess what prompted that somewhat, I guess we had shared that meme of about how fish haters, every song sounds the same. And then it says fish songs, and there's a meme of four completely different types of people. And, uh, and, and, and maybe that is related to strip lining in the sense that when you do introduce it to somebody new, and I've done this, I'll say, look, it can be kind of weird. Like I admit some of the things that can be off-putting to some people. You might find the lyrics a bit strange, but they're interesting. You might find some of the like the musical changes, like, whoa, what, that sounds, it's going to be different from things that you've heard, but give it a shot. You know, that's, that's, that tends to be my approach. And um, I haven't really hook, line, and sinkered anybody yet, but you know, everybody comes back like, like yeah, it was, it was different. It was interesting, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I wonder how it can apply to all kinds of other things in life too, right? Cause I, think it's, cause, good, I think it's just a good lesson, you know? I think, yeah. uh, you know, like I think, of, I think of even something like parenting, man. I think there's something to be said about, you know, Ari, I'm so sorry, man. I overreacted. You didn't deserve, you know, you didn't deserve me to yell at you like that. I'm just tired. I did that last night. Like last night at bath time, we had fish playing. And uh, yeah, Grace was just sort of beating. Yeah, he's being a four-year-old, right? He's being like a bit of a nuisance. And I got a little bit frustrated in the moment. And she looked at me and I had to go, yeah, I need to dial it down. Sorry. But, you know, I had to be honest, right? And I'm not perfect. I'm always going to tell them that. Um and I think, yeah, long term, even in even in business, leading people, you know, they they respect you more for being open and honest, and you know, showing some of your vulnerability, right? Maybe very uh, a, a new age thing, but it can be helpful. Especially, especially with fans, you know. I mean, I think there's this thing um, where we don't want to admit like there's anything we dislike about the band, right? Or God, sure. you know, like it's like it's the heavenly gospel that we're talking about, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it, it is an interesting uh, group i mean it, there's a lot of different fans of course oh and by the way gone girl uh, 2014 was when the movie came out so yeah six and a half years ago ish um 
But, you know, it, it's also kind of the fun of it. The fact that those arguments can exist and those opinions can exist and be debated over as passionately as they are kind of adds to the to the fun of it all, right? For those of us that don't want to participate in that argument, I like lurking on that kind of stuff. I love watching people debate and argue and fight. And one of my favorite, favorite threads on Reddit is the public freakout one. It's great. It's when people are freaking out in public because they're getting kicked out of a store or they're getting arrested and resisting or just weird stuff happens. And I don't know. I love watching that kind of stuff. I don't so, like so to participate. What, your, what, what is your least favorite thing about the band? Like if you could change like one or two aspects, like what are you miss? What are things that like you're not, you know? That's hard because I, I don't know if there's really anything that I, that I really, really dislike. Like to the point where I'm like, ah, I wish they wouldn't do that. I've really come around on a lot of things the more that I've listened to them. Um, I'm going to have to sit on that and get back to you. Uh, it might, it might actually be what we're kind of talking about that they aren't more widely accepted, which isn't the, the aim or the goal, but that's one thing that kind of like, 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 why don't more people know of these guys? You know, why are more people like, you know, recognizing what they've, what they've done and maybe that's going to come in time and, you know, I don't know, but that might be it. I just don't get, and we talked about this, I think when we first started talking about doing this podcast is that, that it was one of my things. Like, I don't know, because I, I find the rest of it, as I've come to listen to it more, I've changed my opinion on some of like the barbershop quartet stuff. At first it was kind of like, eh, it's a bit self-serving, but I've come to recognize the fact that it's not easy to pull off. They clearly put a ton of time and effort into doing it and they kind of coming back to that meme, you know, they they can do something completely different. I used to not really like some of the more um, um, bluesy, bluesy bass songs like, um, like Funky Bitch or Kill Devil Falls. I love those songs now, right? Kill Devil Falls was in my uh, top three bathroom break songs that I post where I got all the hate. And it's funny because we were kind of talking about lyrics not that long ago what's really come back around to make me love that song is being able to sing along to the lyrics and I really enjoy it more because of it. So, you know, as I've, as I've listened more, I've come to embrace more of those things or at least understand that, Hey, fuck it. Like they're doing it because they love it. And I love that they're doing it because they love it. I think you've helped me with that, to be honest. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but you know, I'll try, I'll try, I'll try to think of something. Um, you know, I'll try to think of something, but right now I got nothing. I'm sure I will, right? Something will come up and I'll go, ah, not for me. It's hard, right? Because it's not like, it's not like it's genuine. It's not like it's like genuine, like, I hate this. You know, it's more like, uh, it's more like I wish, you know? It's the type of thing. And if, and if there were a song, maybe this is a bad example, but I remember when um, I used to listen to a lot of Dave Matthews, right? A lot. And if I were listening to a live show, if they were to play Crash Into Me, I would skip the song. Right. I was just like, yeah, because I because I have everything else that's available to me. It was probably their most popular song ever to most people. And I would skip it. But if I were to hear it randomly on the radio, back when people listen to traditional radio, I would crank it up because it was a surprise amongst a bunch of other songs. You know what I mean? So, you know, it, it, it sort of might be, in my view, the worst thing about them, but then the best thing amongst the comparison. Okay. Makes sense. I don't know. Um, so anyway, uh, 
yeah, but uh, yeah, negative strip lining. I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna try to focus on that and see and see who can employ that or sorry, not employ it, but that's just, the, that's just the technique for life, man. Like yeah. you can employ that with anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's the difference between strip lining and negative strip lining? No idea. It's just the name of the technique. I don't, okay. I don't name this stuff. I just, uh, you know, regurgitate it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I regurgitate it and attempt to apply it in an effort to help me um, bring people to something that would make them happy and be beneficial to them. Okay. So, in terms of, I guess, like a marketing technique or sales technique, is there anything that Fish as a band has done that would be considered negative strip lining where they kind of put it out like, you know, we know this about ourselves, but so, so what? I think, in, I think in principle, yes. You know, I think they've always been very relatable, right? Like, let's not, let's be clear. These are rock stars, mm-hmm. right? So, even something like you mentioned, like on, um, you know, when they were playing chess against the audience, you know, Paige was like, oh, hey, cool, you know, 2,000 people. And Trey was like, uh, 20,000 people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, right? But like the way that even, even, even the way that they dress, even the way that they interact with people, right? It feels like it's, it feels like it's your uncle, man. I'm really glad that you just said, and I don't know if you, picked up on it so when you just said and i can't believe i'm going to talk about this but i'm going to because hey whatever uh and that's sort of in the spirit of the bit put it out there right um it's funny that you say that in in how they dress so i don't know if you can see but i'm wearing the tray plain black henley now the no, difference I but i can't see anything. yeah because yeah because the webcam is not great right and i'm in jeans so no, so so normally when you and i do this i'm in like the sweat so I, I wear around the house i'm playing with the girls i have a dog that shed so i don't tend to wear you know, anyway, um, but today I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to get up in my Trey getup. The difference is, and if you do some research into what Trey, Trey wears, and I can't believe I even know this, it's just ridiculous. This is, this is, this is the $20 gap version of the Henley. Okay. What, what Trey wears is apparently like an $800 Tom Ford Henley. The exact same thing. When I, I don't know if you remember this, but in the Beacon Jams, and I forget which week, I want to say it was week three. Might have been two, but I think it was week three. When he had that white and black striped sweater on, right? People did some Googling. It was a very different kind of thing for him to wear. Was that when someone asked him for the sweater? Yes, yes. And people did some Googling. It was like a $1,200 sweater or something crazy. <laughs> so, I mean, there is that element to it, but you'd have to really know your stuff to find that out. But um yeah, they do really come across as down to earth, like he, he, very approachable. Like when you met Trey, it, it wasn't, uh, he wasn't an untouchable guy. He was just blending well, in with the rest of the people. It's interesting. Do you remember, like, here's just a funny example of that. Do you remember the show Columbo? Mm-hmm. So Columbo was like, oh, uh, oh, uh, oh, uh, one more thing, <laughs> right? Interesting that, you, interesting that you brought that up. So Columbo's technique was eventually, like, pretty much like becoming relatable. Right. He what he would, you know, he drove, he drove, what did he drive? The Peugeot. It was run down. He was always kind of dirty. You know, he was bumbling around a little bit. And the technique was to get people to open up to him. Yep. You know, and then it was always, oh, I got one more thing. You know, he'd always forget and he'd always come back and he'd ask to be invited in. Right. So he was relatable. People liked him. Yeah. You know, he was open. He made, he made them feel you know, like he was okay bringing attention to his flaws. Right. But not in a way, but not apologizing for his strengths. Right. right. Like 
the boys don't apologize that they're great musicians. Like they go out there and they and they give her and they're grateful to to do it, right? But mm-hmm. the other stuff is is it's really relatable until you dig a little bit deeper and you're like, oh shit, twelve. I mean, I can buy a twelve hundred dollars sweater if I want to, but I would rather I don't know go on vacation, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, great show, Colombo. Um, yeah, it, it was good, but you know, like, Peter Falk, I want to say, right? And you'll see it everywhere, right? You'll see it everywhere. This is uh, this is what great salespeople do. You're buying a car. And instead of being like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever, you know, it's it's a good car, but you can do better on gas mileage if you really want to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. And then it creates a connection like, oh, this person is being honest. They have my best interest at heart, right? I, I can, you know, it, it sort of inches closer to the relatability factor too, right? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting stuff. Um, yeah. It's a good topic. I mean, it, it, yeah, it really, it really does apply to, Everything. A lot of things. Okay. Um, we'll definitely keep on that one. Maybe see if we can find some more examples as the weeks go by. Um, so I guess I guess we look at the news. The news of the day is, uh, I don't know, maybe about a week ago or so, uh, Trey posted on Instagram that he got his uh, 10th Languedoc custom guitar. Um, and, uh, and a great description of the features of the guitar, which we can get into uh, with myself being an amateur woodworker and, you know, looking at the craftsmanship and the, and knowing full well what goes into making those things, the way that he makes them pretty incredible. And the one that there's such a long waiting list to get one of his guitars. Uh, and uh, yeah, just reading through Trey's d- description of not only the functionality of the guitar, the changes that were made with it, the materials that were used, the type of wood, the, you know, wood banding instead of plastic banding, you know, plastic on the entire guitar, but then also kind of hinting at the relationship that he's had with Paul since the very, very early days. Um, and he ended it with, uh, and I should actually read it, but it set off, um, you know, a bit of a fury of activity amongst the fans. Not, it's so funny, man. He's it not moron. He knows exactly. Yes. I, and I was thinking that, and I knew that you were going to say that, um, very, very much on purpose. So he talks about the guitar, uh, what this guitar, this new one means to him and the relationship. And then the very last line is in quote, the 4.0 quote guitar. Thank you, Paul. And then, you know, people started commenting on, well, no, it's not fish 4.0. It's, it's, uh, it's his fourth Koa model that he got from Languedoc, which is the type of wood that's in the guitar. Um, but I think, um, what's your take on the 4.0 thing? And maybe we can talk about the guitar and some of the, and some of the background there. What do you think about it? I think it's both. Yeah. I think, I think we are, I think we are completely out to lunch. If Mm -hmm. we think that they're going to take the stage now and not sound different than how they sounded over the past years. Okay. But here, but here would be my question. What is the, and look, it's whatever they want it to be, right? Let's be honest. But what would actually be the criteria to distinguish the differences between one, two, and three? Wouldn't it be that in between each one, there was an official break that was announced, right? That, you know, and especially in 2004, there wasn't a plan to get back together at all, right? And there kind of was in 2000. That was very much into that. And it wasn't a huge, huge surprise, although yeah. maybe sooner than expected when they came back in 2002. But um, so there's no official announcement there. They've openly said they can't wait to get back and play together again and, 
you know, they, they haven't announced a breakup, so to speak. The gap in between the last show and now is not even a year yet, right? Versus, ver versus obviously, there's a big gap in between two and two and three. You're talking five years, nearly, uh, I guess, closer to four, um, four and a half. Uh, and then, what, two years, two months in between one and 2.0. We're not even at a year yet, and there hasn't been anything official announced. But my take on it, if you want it, what Trey says goes. If that's what he says, that's what it is. He's the captain of the ship, of <laughs> you know. Like, that's boring, but that's boring. So, sure, you know, sure. to, 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 to be devil's advocate, not everybody wanted the hiatus, right? Mike says no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Sure. So to say they didn't, there was no plans. There was no plans by some of them, but the other ones, there was plans. They wanted to get back together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Fish 3.5, how about that? <laughs> yeah don't you a 3.1 but yeah we'll see i mean obviously the community will ultimately uh, decide and, and the majority will rule and we'll see how that evolves over time and you know what i think the longer the break goes on the more and more likely it will be that because you know i, I think time time will tell obviously it's just fun to, it's just fun to talk about this stuff because what the hell else are we going to talk about yeah for sure. Um, so it, it just happened to be coincidental shortly after reading that post and kind of looking at the guitar and again, coming back to, and I'll get into what I want to talk about there. The craftsmanship in that guitar is just in all of his guitars. It's, it's, um, I don't know if you've ever spent time working with wood or how, how. So I do have, okay, well now the tables are turned. What about it? Like when you read those descriptions, what about it makes it like great craftsmanship? Okay. Quite a few things you can you can tell number one. So the, the basic way that you make a guitar, we're talking like body, right? You've got a you've got one piece of wood. Ideally, this is a solid 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 body guitar. You cut out the actual shape. You start to route the edges, smooth it down. There would be a lot of a lot of hand sanding, not a lot of orbital sanding or holding onto a sander because you can't control it as well. So you're talking. A, a, a ton of shaping and sanding that's just on a solid body guitar right and and that's where you're going grip progression so you start out with a really rough grip like an 80 or 100 grit completely sand it down so it's consistent you go up a grit to 120 140 and you keep going down finer and finer and finer until you get that smooth smooth finish yep. in essence you also then have to cut out all of your spots for your uh pickups Right, so you carve that out using a router. It's got to be precise. It's got to fit in nice and snug. You can't have any rattling. So, in 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 basic sense, there's no margin for error if you want to if if you want to have a good sounding guitar. It's got to feel solid and complete, right? Yeah. His guitars are hollow bodied, but they're not hollow bodied like a traditional hollow body guitar. A traditional hollow body guitar has got a block of wood that runs right through the middle, so it's hollow on either side, and they call those wings. His are made like a violin. They're truly hollow. And then he also has those, I think they're called F. Right? So it can sound like an acoustic. Right. Right. Um, and in fact, he talks about his first, his first Languedoc guitar that he got uh, in, I think, 87, 88. He learned to record with a mic on the acoustic part, put the amp in the other room, and mic that at the same time. So when they would play, you could pick up almost two like two sounds playing at the same time a bit of the acoustic feel and then the electric feel in the other room um so a it makes them more delicate right um and they kind of talked about a, a little bit about how trey just doesn't break strings the way the way that he plays the guitar is just so 
precise and he had to really learn how to play this type of guitar because it's totally different. But anyway, so to be able to um, uh, laminate the wood in a way that it's going to be stable and have that and have that hollow body with the precision of where the pickups go and the knobs. And in these newer versions, he's doing he's doing wood banding around the edge instead of plastic. So to be able to bend bend and shape wood takes a lot of time. You have to use a lot of heat and pressure. Um, there's just there's just no margin for error. The amount of detail and and time that would take, and you can see the obsession to the detail in every piece. When you start to look at those pictures and look at how everything is shaped, even that I forget what it's called, the bottom of the guitar, there's a black black piece of ebony wood where the strings meet at the bottom. Just even looking at how that's shaped, you can see like that piece alone would have taken like hours. So that's called the bridge. The bridge. Okay. Um, and then, and then that's not even talking about the neck and the inlays in the neck and molding that into the top of the guitar body itself. It, it, it's just, uh, yeah, nothing but admiration for his ability to, to, to do it. How many hours do you think it would take him to build something like that? I've never built a guitar. I don't really know. Obviously he'd be quite proficient at it given his experience. I mean, he's a master. Um, I don't know, man. I, you, you, I gotta believe it's north of two, three hundred hours. Wow. It maybe not, but yeah. And he's using a fair, a fairly hard wood, which, which, which then takes a little more time. Uh, koa. 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 Koa with a with a maple neck. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so anyway, what I wanted to get into was I uh, went back and um, found and found a two part. Um, podcast from tom marshall's podcast which used to be called under the scales is now being rebranded as undermine they've merged a few of the fish podcasts into one but i listened to it and the first episode is like 56 minutes they barely even talked about the guitar they're just them hanging out reminiscing and and they and they talk about they ask him how he crafts a set list what goes into a set list and he goes over in detail exactly what they do. So I'll come back to that. Part two is really is really about the guitar and his relationship with Paul um, and what it all means. Now this was recorded, I believe, in December of 2016, backstage at Madison Square Garden. Got a guy named Dan Dan Cantor on there, who's popular in the Fish community. He's Justin Bieber's musical director and has worked yeah. a lot of. Yeah, he was in the um, Long Midi Run podcast a little bit as well. Uh, so he's he, he's there with Tom Marshall because he's a guitar guy, asking those questions. And uh, he first talks about his relationship with Paul and, you know, they've known each other since the early days. He worked at a guitar store uh, and he talks about the first the first Languedoc that he got and that he clarified that he helped like design it with Paul. Paul made it, but it was his idea. Like he came to him with what with what he wanted and it took him some time to learn how to play it. It wasn't unlike, it was unlike any other guitar that he's played. He's found, he said it's kind of like jumping on to like a raging bull and you have to kind of tame it. So he even said that when he's playing different different songs and different solos, he has to turn turn the guitar a certain way to the amp to get the note that he wants. And he sort of explained why he moves the way he does because he's really tweaking the sound on a really fine level, especially when he's holding down the sustain notes and um, doing that kind of thing. So he, it's totally worth a listen. Um, but uh, he said he basically learned, he, he made that his instrument. He almost had to relearn a lot of things when he started to play the Languedoc guitar, but the more he played it, the, the better it got. Um, he then kind of talked about his, 
his 96, which is his favorite guitar, the, uh, the 96 Koa, uh, which he played every show from 97, 98, Big Cypress. Like, he went into that and uh, he comes back to it all the time. That's his number one guitar. Um, uh, and, and just the sustain that he can hold on, on that. Um, Koa, Koa 2.0 was given to him in 2002 when they were coming back. And then he got another one in 2009. And that's why a lot of people think that this is Koa 4.0, which lines up with the, you know, reemergence of the band. Um, but uh, yeah, and then he goes into a lot of detail about why he loves Paul the way that he loves him. How he channels that relationship into the guitar when he's playing it. And he's thinking about that when he's playing it. He's reliving the memories of living together. You know, uh, when Fish was exploding, he was living like it was him and his wife, Trey and his wife, Sue and Paul living together. And Trey would be off on the road and Paul would stay home and take care of the house and do whatever was going on. They have a really deep relationship. And apparently he's a really quiet, serious guy that's tough to get to know. Right. So Trey's one of the few that's actually really, really close with him. So that was really, really neat. And then, um, yeah, just talking about the guitar and, you know, that it can why it can do everything that it can do. He plays one guitar a show. You know, you go to see any other band with a guitarist on that level or even like a, whatever. They're changing guitars all the time. You know, so the fact that he can do everything he can with that one guitar is not a coincidence. It was very much implemented, you know, implemented into the design and what he wanted to be able to do. And he's, he said specifically, it changed his songwriting because the sustain on that guitar was so good. It totally changed songs like Squirming Coil and like. You know, he, he, he wrote it based on that guitar's ability. It, so when you think about how important, and then Langadoc was the first crew member. He was the original sound guy. Like, yeah. you know, how important he is to the Fish story and the relationship was, uh, and you can really hear how genuine and appreciative Trey, Trey was talking about it now, it's, you know, four years ago. So excited to hear the guitar, the new one. I mean, I think it's going to be pretty awesome. Um, yeah, any thoughts? I mean, it, it, you listen to it is what I would say. So the one thing that, because um, you do a lot more listening th th than I do to this stuff. Yeah. The one thing I did hear Trey talk about, like for guitars, I, I love this quote. He's always like, he's like, I have this theory, I think he starts, and I'm going to totally butcher how he said it, but it definitely, I have two things to say. Um, actually, three. Um, so, he, and he's like, you know, I, I think, uh, I, I think a guitar has to decide to become a guitar. You know, like he talks about how it's just a bunch of wood first, and then like, it has to like, kind of mold and gel together and it needs to like decide that like it's going to be an awesome guitar it's interesting that's interesting because you can really look into that in a deeper rooted thing like that guitar especially when it's mostly made of wood was a living thing at some point right and that's sort of a philosophy in the woodworking world is that you're taking something that lived for generations in some in some cases like i've worked with wood that you can count the rings that tree was she was 150 years old 140 years old and then but it but even like sorry to interrupt you but even like as a player like i have a i have a 95 or 90 95 sg you look at it and you're like oh yeah this is the ding that i got from this show and you know like yeah. the neck plays differently other than like if i go to the store and i pick up or like how my fender sounds like it's just really cool you start to put all these things together and you're like this is amazing yeah yeah, well, it's, it's interesting you say that. We'll come back to you know, just all get about about the woodworking thing is that when you make something and create something with with that wood, it has the opportunity to keep living in another form is the whole idea. But what you just said reminded me of um, right after Eddie Van Halen died, I was listening to Stern and they basically dedicated the 
the whole show to Eddie Van Halen. And he has a staffer who was obsessed, replicated and rebuilt his Frankenstein guitar. And they talked about that guitar. And specifically, he said, when he redesigned it, he even redesigned it to mimic, to have the cigarette burns on the neck. Because Eddie, Eddie would tuck the cigarettes yeah, up into yeah. the top. Yep. Right. And there's these signature burns from signature songs and shows that all these fanboys know about. So when they build their own version, they put that kind of shit in there. They put the scratches from whatever, like they know that kind of detail about somebody else's guitar. Okay. So it's cool that when you think about your, your own and it tells that, tells that story. Um, yeah, it's pretty unique. And I guess certain car lovers would have the same thing with cars and, there's, um, a, uh, there's really a, cool, a cool story uh, with Steve Vai talking about the first time he heard Eddie Van Halen. Like he heard uh, "Running with the Devil" was the first song that he heard. Mm-hmm. It's pretty neat. It's pretty neat what he says. You should look it up. Oh, really? Yeah, it's pretty okay. cool. Yeah, because uh. he's, he's like, you know, I was a kid. I was 17. You know, I thought I knew everything. And who's this guy? Everyone's telling me I need to listen to this. He yeah. was like, he's blown away. Like it's really neat what he says. Yeah. So. The only, the only other, I still, have two more, I still have two more things. I still have two okay. more things. Number two is uh, if I ever buy a kit guitar, could you put it together for me? Potentially. We, I'd have to get more detail and examine it. I'd be up for it. I'd be up for the challenge. Okay, and number three, this is a big question. Let's, uh, let's design and build a guitar. Whoa. Oh boy. Think about it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested. I would rather. About it. Dude, here's where I'm at, man. You know, I don't. I know where to get the wood. Like, like that's easy. The the parts and materials. I, I I'd have to, I'd have to do some research. I've never built a guitar, and if I, I'm the kind of guy. I think you know this. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't. Uh, so, hey, let me give it a crack. Like that's just not me. I know. You know. I I would have to study and research and practice on some other materials and uh, figure it out. But I get for it. Couple things. Number one, uh, let me tell you my motivation because I think it's important. Yeah. Um, I, you know, respect, I mean, people love, you know, the guitar, the cigarette burns on Eddie Van Halen's guitar, no offense to Eddie or anybody else, but I want to make my own memories. You know, mm-hmm. I would rather, I would rather play an Adam Doan than a Gibson or a Fender any day. Cause yeah. I just, I just think that's pretty cool, you know? So think about it and then okay. price it out. And then obviously I, you know, I don't expect you to do it for free. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about something. Figure something out. Okay. Yep. If you're interested, right. if you're not interested, then don't worry about it. No, I'm definitely interested, but I need to do some research and kind of figure out. I mean, look, I think, and this is one of the things that I love about Steve Jobs is he's got this little quote that he had an epiphany in his early years when he realized that everything else around him was made by another person. Why can't I? You got it. Right. And I was like, when I read that, I was like, holy shit. And I've approached so many things like that. Because I used to have a lot of apprehension when taking on something really, really new or something completely different. And that's sort of what I come back to whenever I'm approached with one of those things. Now, like, hold on a second. Anybody else, like thousands of people have done this before me. What's so different? I probably have more access to information than they did. You know, I, I've got resources. So, yeah, let's figure it out. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like Paul Anguidoc selling his guitars. It sounds like a bargain. So let's just be clear. He sells his guitars for around 10000 12000 now dollars that sounds like a bargain that sounds like a bargain to me right like for the amount of work and craftsmanship that goes in you're talking two to three hundred hours yeah when i you know when i compare um what and people often look at the amount of materials used as a way to value what something's worth in the woodworking world right like the bigger the table the more the money 
that kind of thing. Um, but it really should be evaluated on the quality of the craftsmanship and how much time and effort is put into it by the person that made it. And I would argue, not argue, I know uh, making a guitar like that takes way more time and effort than making a table that's worth $20,000. You wow. need more people. You need more people to make that other one because it's so big in terms of handling it, and moving it. But you know, totally different type of skill. Also, you know, like e, 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 let's let's not pretend like Paul Languedoc guitars would be as valuable if Trey Anastasia wasn't the one. You know, you might be right about that. Well, yep. I mean, look at look yep. at so you know, like look at the Kardashians. So Khloe Kardashian launches this billion-dollar makeup company, but she's also got the other ones that are that are doing like the marketing and and the face for it, right? So you need both. Mm -hmm. Anyways, something to think about, man. Yeah, no, I'm definitely interested. It's funny, yeah. Uh, because when I go, I get... when I go to gigs, I'd rather people be like, "Dude, what guitar is that?" Oh, talk to uh, talk to my buddy. Yeah. Do you already have an idea in your mind of what it, of what you'd want? Like, have you already given that any thought or would you want to kind of sit down with a blank canvas and kind of go, because I'd have to do, because, so one of the things that I learned when listening to that podcast was um, just, just in basics, how much different the sound will be based on the type of wood. Obviously there's different densities of woods, how much yeah. they resonate. And there's a reason uh, curly uh, maple is used so, so often. There's a reason that spruce and those other materials are used where they are. Um, so I have to get more familiar with that, but all that stuff is accessible. Uh, but then, you know, where you put the pickups, what types of pickups you use, the knobs, the, all that stuff plays into it. So, um, yeah, I wanted to ask you too, when we were going to talk about, is there anyone even anymore? We probably lost some of my guitars. I doubt it. I don't know. I find it fascinating. I don't know. I, we'll see. But, uh, I wanted to ask you if you, if I were to, um, like, are you able to spot the differences in the tones of Trey's different guitars? Like, could you say if I played you a song randomly, oh, this is the, I wonder, I'm, I'm sure there's fans out there that can, but. Uh, no, I can't. No. Um, but to be fair, I, I've never thought, you know, I've never thought to, to listen like that. Same here. And I just was thinking that the other day when I was listening to that, you would be able to tell in the very early days, he used um, an Ibanez and that, that, that was very, very different from everything else. Very early, like 86, 87, if there's like, like the white tape, that sort of stuff is a very different sound because he didn't have a Languedoc yet. He used the Strat, um, he used the Strat during Caslot uh, too. Is that what he used? It yeah. was, right? Yeah, 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 it was. Yeah, I guess Languedoc couldn't make it in time. I mean, they pulled that together in a couple months. So that might give you an idea. And I don't even know if that would have been on he the wanted, table. He wanted to sound like a different guitar player, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, I mean, but it's crazy. So here's, you know, I think actually, I think it's valuable just to go back and listen to that live performance because even with another guitar, it still sounded like Trey. Yes. Yes. Oh, um, Yes, and you just reminded me. I wanted to come back to Eddie Van Halen real, real quick. Yeah. Uh, so the story uh, that I that was told about Eddie Van Halen was he was opening for Ted Nugent, right? And they're at Soundcheck, and Eddie's doing his thing and making the sounds he made. And they were very early on. Van Halen was was breaking, and uh, Ted Nugent's watching. You know, he's watching them. He goes up to him after. He goes, "All right, kid, where's your where's your magic box?" And he's like, "What?" He goes where's your magic box like you know basically what are the effects what do you what tricks are you using to get that sound and then he's like what are you talking about he's like where's your magic box he gives ted the guitar he can't make the sounds he takes ted's guitar and plugs it in and it's eddie van halen 
right? He's like, fuck, okay. <laughs> Walks away. Like, what do you do? It's, uh, yeah. So he was great. He was a great player. Things, right? Like, that's one of the, like, Steve Vai talks about in the interview, like, to him, there's only really two guitar players where you're just, like, completely blown away. Like, they were so different. They were aliens. One is Jimi Hendrix, and the mm-hmm. other one is is Eddie Van Halen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah very like, uh, think about that of all the people playing the guitar and there's some you know like i think trey's the most underrated player and he's my favorite mm-hmm. player um, mm-hmm. but i can't disagree with that yeah well i i think brought a completely new sound to it that nobody had ever done that's dawn the difference dawn of the shred man yeah yeah and also um evidently the way that he would write solos he would write them in sections and parts and take little parts and clips and then stitch them together and then learn how to play it like that. So evidently when you watch him play and his hands are jumping all over the neck, it's because he's taken little bits from other solos that he was always recording, just obsessed, living in the studio, smoking his brains out, playing the guitar. Um, And he would record all these things and then stitch it together in little sections and have to re-memorize it in the order that he created it in. Like different process, but it kind of explains some of the uh, chaoticness of the plane. But um, anyway, uh, we're getting long on time. Why don't we save the uh, whole set list strategy and stuff for next week? Yeah. I think uh, that's a good topic and and uh, something I've always been fascinated about and it I love it. So I'll dangle that carrot a little bit and uh, we'll revisit next week. Good chat this week, pal. Love yeah, it. fun, fun. Awesome. Okay. Hope everybody else enjoyed it as well. If you're still listening. Uh, thank, <laughs> thank you if you are. And uh, smash that like button and subscribe. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Ticket to Gamehenge. In addition to wherever you find your podcasts, you can find us on Instagram, YouTube, and of course, TicketToGameHenge.com, where you can grab a free chapter of the book, How to Get Your Friends Into Fish. Make sure you subscribe to stay up to date on the latest episodes. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep sharing in the groove.